All right. Here's what we're going to do. Um, am I turned on here? I think I am. Here's what we're going to do. We've done this every Sunday uh, for the last number of Sundays. And uh, we used to do it in the groups. I want everybody to grab hands with the person next to you. And we don't do that because we're touchy-feely. I hate touchy-feely. But we do that to remind ourselves we're called to touch the lives of others. And I'm going to pray. And so uh, why don't you keep, grab hands each other, and then I'm going to pray. Jesus, we've prayed every week now for a number of weeks that you would reveal yourself to us. And we believe that when we ask you, you do that. And I already know there's been many stories for the last few weeks of people hearing you and seeing you in ways they hadn't heard or seen you before, and you saying and doing things that led to their freedom. So we pray even this morning uh, that you would reveal yourself to us. You show up. Speak loudly, Jesus. And not just this morning, but throughout this week, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see whatever you say, whatever you want us to do, and then give us the courage to do it because we want to be the kind of people who do whatever you ask us to do because we know your goal is our freedom. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. You can let go of hands now. <laughs> hey, I'm going to invite somebody up here this morning. Uh, Matt Corey. Is Matt here? I know, I know he's here unless he left after I told him I wanted to interview him. All right, this is, uh, this is Matt. Uh, Matt, just real quick, why don't you tell us what you do here in Bloomington? What got you to Bloomington? So, some people call me a wrangler. Okay. I'm a special ed teacher in a middle school, and I, I primarily work with students with uh, emotional um, and behavioral uh, diversity. Okay. Yeah, I knew, he's got good stories, too. And how long have you been uh, in Bloomington, and how long have you been at a part of Exodus? I've, I started going to Exodus last October, and I've been in Bloomington since uh, 04. Okay, and you grew up where? I grew up in the Philippines as a... Uh, MK. So if you missionary kid. missionary kid, if you don't think I have much of a personality, we, we kind of cover both extremes. Either you, you adapt well and you're great with people, or you're on the other extreme. So okay, so that's where I might actually, fall. We're gonna actually do a little personality thing with uh, Matt here. We have two buckets, buckets A and B, and uh, put some questions up on the screen. And uh, here's question number one. You get five balls. All right, and here's what you want you to do, Matt. If, if A is mostly true of you, if it's all true of you, you put all five in that one. If it's sometimes true, but B is kind of true too, you know, four and one, three and two. And I put it on the community table so you have to be honest, okay? <laughs> anyway, question number one. If a friend of mine were to tell me that in his, in his opinion, I was doing things that made me less effective than I might be in social situations, not a real good conversation, I would A... Ask him to describe what he observed and suggest changes I might make, or B, resent his criticism and let him know why I behave the way I do. You want them all in A? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. You put him in there. You, uh, I'm not gonna, I feel like that's dishonest. There we go. <laughs> so you would do hey, that? Hey, I'm not much into resentment, so we'll, we'll go with that. So okay, I drove okay. my motorcycle for the first time, and I asked the guy following me to, to criticize me. So there's okay. proof. Okay. All right. He's over. Next question. Next question. This is all about self-awareness. All right, if a friend pointed out that I had a personality conflict with another friend with whom I was, uh, with whom it was important for me to get along, I would A, consider her comments out of line and tell her I didn't want to discuss the matter, or B, talk about it openly with her to find out how my behavior was being affected by this. Oh boy. Is this, is this, is this conflict with uh, conflict somebody I work with? with or, uh, Could be anybody. And uh, somebody says, hey, I think there's conflict. 
how about we do how about we do a three and a three two? And a and two and B. That's fairly non-committal, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of saying I want to pretend to be honest, but not totally. All right, and there, I'm assuming the rest of you are kind of asking asking the answer the same of yourself. I didn't want to hand out balls to everybody. All right, three. We got four questions all. Number three. If I'd begun to dislike a certain habits of a friend of mine to the point that it was interfering with my enjoyment of their company, all right, so a friend of yours is doing things that irritate you, I would a, say nothing to him directly, but let him know my feelings by ignoring them, by ignoring him whenever his annoying habits were obvious, or B, get my feelings out in the open and clear the air so we continue our friendship comfortably and enjoyably. Sounds so easy on paper, doesn't it? I mean, I mean all right. What should you do? What, what, what's the friend like? Huh? What's the friend like? It's somebody you want to maintain a friendship with. I'll just say that. So we'll go four in here. Okay. We'll go one. One okay, other. so you're more, I'll get it out in the open. Let's more now it. than two years ago. Okay, two years ago, it might have been 4-1 the other uh, one. Yeah. Okay. All right, thank you very much. We appreciate growth. Next question. This is the last one. Why? I should be wearing glasses, but I can't. If my relationship with a friend has been damaged by repeated arguments on an issue of importance to both of us, I would A, be cautious in my conversations with her so the issue would not come up again to worsen our relationship. All right, how many people would do that? Let's have a show. Let's have an honest show of hands. All right, very good. Explain the problems the controversy is causing for our relationship and suggest that we discuss it until we get it resolved. So would you ignore the, conver the issue or open it up? Talk How honest it. do we have to be? Uh, this is, it's, you know, the cross is right here, so uh, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> the four guys. Hey, I'll do the four and one again. Eh? All right, four and B? And, and four and B, okay. yeah. Here again. All right, very I'm growing good. a little very bit. Good. Very good. All right, uh, last one. This is a different one here. I want you to pick... Real quickly, the three words that you think describe you the most from this list. I know there's a lot of them, but just jump on a few of them. You've taken these tests. Abel. Able. Able. Uh, calm. Calm. Is it completely arrogant to say modest? <laughs> okay, able, calm, and modest. Thank you, Matt. All right, now. Let's leave on this. Here's... This is actually, these questions and this thing actually come from a real assessment tool. And on this one, you actually have to choose six of these to describe yourself. Then you have to ask friends and family members to pick six they think describe you. And then what gets mapped on is something like this. Go to the next one. This is called the Johari window. All right? Anybody heard of that before? It was established in it was, uh, 1955, and actually the two researchers were Joe and Harry. Joe Hari. All right? That's how you come up with real cool names, right? And what they say is that they can figure out that we all have relationships with people, and there's three to four different quadrants. There's a quadrant that you know things about yourself, and other people know about it too. It's the open part. It's the part where you enjoy relationships. It's open. It's, it's uh, free. It's kind of a good relationship. Now there's parts down below. There's parts that you know others don't know. That's your hidden self. And sometimes we learn how to mask and be somebody we're not because we know who we are. Other people don't know it. Most people don't know it or people in certain circles don't know it. So we've learned how to live out of our hidden life, all right? Now, the far right is a, is a category that's a little more unsettling for us. There's a, there's a quadrant of our lives, a part of our lives, relationships where there's things about you you don't know about yourself, but others do. And nobody tells you sometimes, right? Right? Or, there's, or you don't know, you don't even know others see things in you you don't see in yourself. You would choose six adjectives. I mean, for, I mean, I don't, I'm not, this wouldn't happen in Matt Corey's case. What if six of his friends chose arrogant and he chose modest? 
That's a, there's a blind issue going on there. Something's going on. And then there's the low, lower quadrant, things you don't know about yourself that others don't even know. Kind of the unknown, the mysterious quadrant. Like, hey. and, and it's this whole, the whole Joe and Harry who developed all this, and it's, it's used in a lot of different circles now in different ways about human relationships is how do you let the open part of you grow and how do you get to the point where the blind spots, if I can just say that, blind spots, and the unknown parts of you, actually how do you get to the point where you start learning and growing because of those things? Because none of us want to be people who live our life, who have these huge blind spots and all our friends know about it, et cetera, et cetera, right? So here's the question of the morning. Go to the next slide there. Question of the morning, what don't you know about yourself? Or what might you think is true about you that you don't realize that others would say, no, that's not really true of you. Or they have a, you know, if, if your friends in a kind way would get in a room off in a corner and say, here's some things he doesn't know about himself. Who's going to tell him? You know, those kind of conversations. Right? What don't you know about yourself? Now, of course, it's a silly question because if you knew what you didn't know about yourself, you'd know that about yourself, right? And then secondly, or even the bottom quadrant, what don't you know about yourself that others don't know about you but God does? In other words, parts, think motives you have that drive why you do things that you're not even aware of those motives. And how does God reveal those to you? Or how do you find out these things about yourself? Because we all want to grow. We all want to be people that are full of life and generous and good and kind and strong and passionate and forgiving and blah, blah, blah. blah. We all want to be those things. But it's kind of... I don't like going into blind area conversations. If anybody likes that, you're probably a little bit odd. If you like people telling you things about you you don't know, all right? Here's what we've been doing the last number of weeks. Go to the next one, uh, Keaton. We've been going through the seven churches talked about in the first part of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a book about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the opening line, the unveiling of Jesus. And there's parts of the book where it talks about the return of Jesus. The curtain opens and he returns to earth, which is a true aspect of the, what the Bible teaches about what will happen in the future. But it's also talking about how does Jesus reveal himself to people like us. And what's happening in, these, in the, last, the first couple of chapters of Revelation. Go to the next slide, Keaton. John, uh, go, just skip on this one. Go to the next one and then go to the next one. Yeah, here we go. 96 AD, the book of Revelation was put in print by a guy named John. He was a friend of Jesus. He was there when Jesus died on the cross. He was one of Jesus' closest disciples. But John by now is probably in his 70s or 80s. He's on an isle of Patmos. It's an island off of the coast of modern-day Turkey. He's in exile, kind of in prison. And he has this vision, the book of Revelation tells us, that God gives him. And Jesus talks to John in the vision. And again, this is one of those things we talk about the weird meter. Okay, this is a little bit weird, but God does do that. He still does that. He still talks to people. And he talks to John and he tells him, I want you to write a letter to churches in these seven towns. These are all real towns that were in modern, that was now in what's modern day Turkey. And uh, we've already done the first six of them. We've done Ephesus, we've done Smyrna, per Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia. And, and Jesus says, John, I want you to say this to this church. And most of the churches, most of the letters, these parts of them, fall into the same category. Jesus says something encouraging about the church, and then he says, but I have this one thing I want to challenge you with. I mean, Jesus is helping them see their blind areas. 
all right? This is what I want to help you see. And, and so every one of the letters has that kind of a pattern. This letter, the last one of the group, is to a church in Laodicea. This is a church you did not want to be a part of with regard to these letters because Jesus has nothing but challenge to say to them. Jesus says something, and he's challenging them because they think they have this big open area. Oh, this is who they are. And Jesus says, you don't even know who you are. You are totally blind. You have a blind, you have a big blind spot. And the thing is, we need to realize every, every one of us lives in Laodicea once in a while. Every one of us does. Every one of us has times where we think we're doing okay spiritually, but people around us be like, I don't know if they are or not. I don't think so. And we've had those times. And maybe people have said things or kind of shocked us out of it or helped us out of it or God's got our attention. So here we're going to read now the letter, the part of the letter to the church at Laodicea. Okay, now this is Jesus talking to John. All right? Write this letter to the angel of the church at Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen. So Jesus is talking about himself. And the amen kind of has a sense of what I'm saying is true. Amen literally means I agree. So Jesus is saying this is something that is true. And I'm the, I'm the faithful and true witness of the beginning of God's new creation. So Jesus is saying what I'm about to say is absolutely true. Whether you like it or not, it's absolutely true. All right, next part. I know all the things you do. This is the words of Jesus. Now remember this. This is not like some cranky old God here. This is Jesus. Kind, compassionate, good Jesus. But let's see. We can be pretty firm with them and with us. I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I mean, saying to these people, you make me sick. This is Jesus talking to people like you and me. You make me sick. Now, here's how Jesus always knows our world. Remember, in all these churches, Jesus says things that are specific to that town's own identity. Well, in this case, in Laodicea, there was a hot springs nearby. And the hot springs, which always was looked at as a point of healing, go to the hot springs. The hot springs had bu would bubble up to a certain place, cross over this big plain about 300 feet, and then drop off a cliff into nearby Laodicea. Laodicea. But by the time it dropped off the cliff, the water was kind of lukewarmish and had all kinds of foul smell to it from what it was doing. And it was good for nothing. It was not good for the healing of a warm spring, and it was not good for the refreshing of cold water. So these people, Jesus is speaking, he knows the town they live in, right? And so he's saying to them, you're just like that putrid water that comes over the cliff. It's good for nothing. I, I wish you would be hot for healing of people or cold for the refreshment of people, but you're like nothing. No, nobody wants it. It stinks. I mean, think about it. What, if you ever asked Jesus, Jesus, what are you thinking? I mean, what if Jesus said to you, sometimes you make me sick? Ooh, wow. I mean, we have hard enough time if our spouse says that to us, right? I'll spit you out of my mouth. Spew you is the actual word. Throw up. Vomit. That's the actual word that's used there. So Jesus uses words like that. All right? But he's good and he's kind. His, his, his goal is our freedom. His goal is not our shame or condemnation. Remember that. All right? So you say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched. Jesus is pointing out the blind area, right? In the mysterious area. You are wretched. You are miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, here's another thing that's interesting about this. 
Um, as I read this part, I'll explain this part. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold has been purified by fire. The Laodiceans was a wealthy culture. So Jesus, again, he's playing on what was true about them, just like he knows how to play on your person. He knows what language you'll understand. He says, then you'll, then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments for me so you not be shamed by your nakedness. Laodicea was a center for garment production and wool, high quality. So again, he's kind of going at the very thing they would know. You not be shamed by your nakedness. Ointment for your eyes to be able to see. It was a medical center. It was known for a certain kind of eye ointment that would supposedly cure certain eye ailments. So Jesus, they know, it's almost like if Jesus was writing to the church in Bloomington, he'd talk about basketball, diversity, and Brown County Hills. I don't know. I mean, Jesus knows us. He knows how to get us to understand what we're talking about. And then he says, I correct. So Jesus is saying, you know what? You're really poor. You're really naked. You're really miserable. You're wretched. You're blind. I mean, that's some strong language. And these are people who think they're okay. Now, again, I, it's like, okay, I'm sitting here. If, if you are the church of Laodicea, and I'm the leader of the church of Laodicea, and somebody opens this scroll and says, here's, here's a letter that John wanted us to read to you today. And they read that. I think we all be like... I think I'm going to go home now. I'm not really sure I want to stay. This is awful, you know. Right? I'd be like, that's not... Most of us, I would be. I'd be defensive. Oh, that's, that's not true. I mean, who said that? Oh, Jesus said that. Oh, sorry. Maybe it is true. Maybe it's, it can't be true. Was it really Jesus? I mean, is that true about me? I mean, we don't like hearing things about us. And if you're like me, you have a real quick defensive reaction. If anybody tells me anything about me that is less than... Ideal, perfect, and perfectly holy, right? Oh, I can't believe you said that about me. We're all the same in that way, all right? So then Jesus says, I correct and discipline everybody I love. I'm telling this because I love you. His goal is our freedom. His goal is not our condemnation and shame. Remember that. His goal is not your condemnation and shame, it's your freedom. Then he says this, so be zealous. We'll talk about that word in a second. Be zealous. That's his remedy. Be zealous. And turn from your indifference. Some versions will say, be zealous and repent. Repent meaning turn around. Go change what you're doing because it's not leading to the way you want to go. Next one. Look, I stand at the door and knock. So Jesus is saying, if you just pay attention, I'll help you. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we'll share a meal together as friends. And in other words, his goal is friendship with you. It's not your condemnation. He wants to be your intimate ally and friend and leader. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. See, what Jesus does, he doesn't see who you are now, he does, but he sees what you, what you can be. You can be an intimate friend of Jesus who is victorious and who Jesus trusts with leadership and rulership in his kingdom. And he closes with this, like he does every one of the seven letters. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So again, if we're the Laodicean church, it's kind of like, man, my weekend was going really great to make up that letter from John that said it was from Jesus. And our church really stinks, man. We're, we're awful. Jesus is kind of hard on us. And if you're like me, we'd get defensive. I've been defensive with Jesus before. Maybe some of you have. When you feel like Jesus is trying to get your attention and you're like, that's, that's my reaction. 
in indignation. I can't believe that. You're saying that's true of me, Jesus? I mean, I remember a time when I, was, I had a stupid, argument with my, a stupid argument with one of my older brothers. I have four brothers. So we had a lot of stupid arguments. And it was, we were arguing about a newspaper article and who got the original and who got the copy. Really, really deep stuff, right? And I wanted the original because I cut it out of the paper. It was an article about one of my younger brothers and his some success and stuff. So we had a stupid argument about who got the original, got the copy. And then that night I'm reading in Proverbs. I was reading a proverb a day. And the proverb I read that day was, um, pride breeds quarrels. I was like, <laughs> you're saying this. I wasn't being prideful here, Jesus. But my brother was, not me. You're not talking. You're talking to him, right? You want me to tell him this first, right? <laughs> but it's interesting how Jesus does that, right? He shows this thing. Our first reaction is, well, this must be for Jeff, not me. It can't be for me, not me. All right? So how do you, okay, so Jesus is saying there are times where you're blind, and all of us have blind spots. We may not, may, we may not all be 100% Laodiceans. I don't think we are. But all of us have Laodicea in us. And uh, we've been, go to the next slide. We've been, we've been praying this prayer, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. These are parts we don't always want to know, right? So what do we do? How do you break out when Jesus, when we ask Jesus to reveal himself to us, how do we... How does he break us out of those blind spot areas that maybe others know? There may be things others know about you you don't know that are spiritual issues. But there's also issues that God knows about you that you don't know. And God says there's some area of your life where you think you're like see everything clearly. And Jesus says, but you really don't. And if you just ask me, if you just open the door when I knock, I'd help you see that. Because I want to set you free. Let me give a couple examples of things I think. Two, I'm going to tell you two things. I'm going to give you two other prayers. This is one prayer we've been asking you to pray. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. I'm going to give you two other one-line prayers I'm going to ask you to pray this week that I think can be really used by God to break you out of any kind of Laodicea in in your own self. All right, go to the next one. And it's all based on this phrase that we just read. All right? He says, be zealous and repent. So if you're kind of in a blind area of life where you feel like you're kind of in this lukewarm area, the words of Jesus are, be zealous. Okay, now that's one of those words like, what does that mean? Okay, does that mean I have to kind of think harder? You know, what, what does zeal mean? And it's interesting, in some of the past, some, the, the, the Greek word actually, and I don't usually talk about Greek words, but I want to today, because the Greek word actually is, sounds like the word zealous. But some of the translations translate Jesus saying, be confident and repent or be earnest and repent. I don't know what it means to be earnest. That's like earnest. I don't be, be confident. Be confident. No, Jesus is saying, be zealous. In other words, stir something up. Remember when Jesus, and let's talk about this word for zealous. Remember when Jesus cleared the temple in John chapter 2? And he was made a whip of cords and was flipping over tables, opening up cages of animals. Yelling at people, get out of here, get out of here. And the disciples said, well, oh, and they remembered that what was written about Jesus was zeal for my father's house will consume. So Jesus was being zealous in his protection of what the, uh, the temple of God was meant to be. And in his zealousness, he wasn't just being diligent and confident and earnest. He was being emotional. He was kind of stirred. All right? So if we're supposed to be zealous, how do you become zealous? 
I mean, is it just as you just drink extra caffeine or drink, you know, Red Bull more? Is that what zealousness is? Zealousness, if I can just define it, it's, it means passionately involved, intensely enthusiastic, and fiercely focused. Paul even talks about in the Corinthians about being zealous for spiritual gifts. We see that Jesus was zealous for the temple of God. And so zealousness is this emotion that comes from you towards something else. All right? It's an emotion that comes from you towards something else. The same word often is translated jealous. You know, like when that song we sing, he is jealous for me. It's that God is zealous. He has an emotion for us that is passionately involved, intensely enthusiastic, and fiercely focused. All right? If those were options to choose, if that describes you, like I had before when I was going through with Matt, let's be honest, I don't know that I could say if somebody said, am I passionately involved and intensely enthusiastic and fiercely focused in my relationship with Jesus? Most of us would be doing good if we gave ourselves a C in that. Maybe a C plus, I don't know. And again, I'm not saying this is not about shame or condemnation. It's about freedom. So how do you become more zealous? How do you break out of kind of the lukewarm cycle of life where, yeah, I'm reading my Bible, I go to church, but I'm not, there's no passion, there's no zeal, there's not, I'm, not, I'm not really throwing myself into this, I'm kind of hesitant and cautious. Now, two different one-line prayers I'm going to talk about. First one comes from this, go to the next slide. One of my, uh, is, there, is there one after that? Yes, let's go with this one. One of my heroes in life is a guy named Jim Elliott. Uh, Jim Elliott was, uh, went to the same college I went to, but that's not even relevant. But in the 1940s, he was a college student, 1949. And there's a book you can get, and it's uh, called Shadow of the Almighty. Heard of, anybody heard of Elizabeth Elliott? She's done a lot of speaking. It's his wife. It was his wife early on. And the book Shadow of the Almighty is a book that's probably had one of the top five books of influencing my life and the trajectory of my life. But it includes parts of his journal. And there was a part of his journal where I remember reading this when I was 25 or so, and he wrote in this journal when he was like 25. So those of you who are of that age range or in your 20s, um, don't ever sell yourself short about what God can do in your life, all right? And one of the prayers he wrote in his journals uh, was this next prayer right here. Father, reveal myself to me. Not reveal yourself to me. That's kind of safe because if Jesus shows up and we don't like it, we just ignore it. But if we, say, if we say, Jesus, reveal myself to me, and then he goes on to say in his journal entry, so I can see, God, what you see. And then he says, Find, tell me what's outside of me and shatter it. Break off the pretense of me. And I'm thinking, man, this guy is a little bit intense. But it's a very, very powerful, scary prayer. Jesus, reveal myself to me. Show me those parts of me that you're really, really excited about, God, but show me those parts of me that are holding me back. Is it selfishness? Is it my own? Is it certain secret habits that I've seen to kind of gloss over and think you're okay? Just, just say that with me uh, right now. One, two, three. Jesus, reveal myself to me. I'm going to challenge you this week to pray that prayer. You're not saying, Jesus, reveal your, reveal 
himself to Jeff. Show Jeff who he is, because he's got issues and he has some problems, but if you show him his stuff, we'll be okay, right? Not that. Don't pray that for your spouse, don't pray that for your kids, don't pray that for the boss you don't like, the roommate you don't like, or the coworker you don't like. Pray that for your own heart. Jesus, reveal myself to me, because I want to see what you see. Interesting enough, with Jim Elliott, the guy who's one of my heroes, some of you may know the story. He and four other guys went to South America to reach a group of people, tribal people that had been unreached. And in the process of that, they were actually killed by that tribe. But it stirred, it stirred the zeal of probably thousands of college students since then, and myself included. It made me realize, what is it like to have a life like that, where you're so zealous for Jesus? Not, not in a weird... You know, so heavenly-minded, you know, earthly good kind of way. Not that, but a real-life kind of zeal for Jesus in a real-life person that people realize, this is the kind of person I want to be. So that's the one thing, I'm, that's one thing I'll challenge you to. Jesus revealed myself to me. Because he will show you, and you'll be like, well, you know, if you're like, if you're like me sometimes, like, yeah, but my blind area is kind of small. I mean, I'm so open. My blind area is really small. Hey, Jesus will find it. He'll find your blind area. He'll find it. And if you think you don't have a blind area or an unknown area, then maybe Jesus will help you realize that arrogance maybe is your issue, right? I don't know. You know? I often tell people that the largest part of wisdom is knowing what you don't know. And in this case, the largest part of self-wisdom is knowing what you don't know about yourself. Jesus knows that. Now, another thing you could do with this, this is scary too, <clears throat> sometimes you can ask other people that you know and trust. <coughs> I've asked my wife this question before, and I'll ask her, how do you experience me as your husband? What do I do that energizes you, but what do I do that drains you? And it's like pulling, painting a bullseye on your heart, right? <coughs> but they have, if you trust this person, they might say something that's really helpful to you. And if you invite it, it doesn't sting as much, my experience, all right? So maybe the way that you're going to learn more from what Jesus wants to reveal to you is by asking others around you, hey, what do you, what do you see in me that's really strong? What do you see in me that you would want to encourage and challenge me on? That's scary, too, because you don't know what they're going to say. But ultimately, you want to hear from Jesus. Sometimes they'll use the voice of your husband, your wife, somebody else, you might. So that's, that's, that's prayer number one. Jesus, reveal yourself to me or myself to me. And the second one. One line prayer is this, and let me let me say this right now. I I don't always take into account time of service and stuff, and I know we're going later than usual. But if you give me like four more minutes, um, I mean nobody's going to leave, right? <laughs> um, and I already told somebody to go on downstairs and tell the kids' workers to please have mercy on me and not. Uh, and you're like, this didn't show up in the text at all. Hear my cry for mercy. No, it doesn't. But we read this earlier on. Where David said, hear my cry for mercy. And it seems to me like a lot of zeal comes when we allow ourselves to be emotional. Emotions aren't bad. Emotions didn't happen after the fall. It's who we are. And sometimes we kind of sanitize our prayers and we kind of pray them in the King James English, and oh God, will you please save me? I mean, it's, whereas I think the Bible prayers, people were sometimes yelling at God. All right? And uh, so here's what I want to do. 
This is something I feel like God's asked me to do, and I'm not trying to do this in a showboat way or it feels awkward anyway. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray with emotion. All right? It's a pastoral prayer, but maybe it's unlike any pastoral prayer you've heard before because I really feel like God wanted me to kind of be zealous in my prayer for us. That's how we're going to close today. So if you would just uh, bow your heads with me and... Uh, Jesus, my prayer is for this, your church, and these, your people, that you would uh, have mercy on us. Jesus, we cry out to you. We don't just talk to you in pleasant tones. We cry out to you because we know there are things in our lives that are enslaved to sin. We know there are things in our lives that are lukewarm and dead. But some of us don't know what to do with that. Some of us know what to do, but we're afraid to do it. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. God, there are marriages here that are flailing and failing and not thriving, which is what you want. God, have mercy on those marriages. Would you reveal yourself to them in mercy and grace and forgiveness and love? God, have mercy on us. There are people here this morning, and myself included, that have issues of forgiveness toward people, and we think we're justified in not forgiving them. We think our anger is justified, and surely you understand, but you don't because you want us to be forgiving. So Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Give us hearts to forgive each other. Give us hearts to forgive that deep-seated conflict we've had with our spouse for years, or with our mom, or with our dad. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus, there are people here this morning that have been hoping and praying for years to have a child. And for some reason in your wisdom or in whatever that hasn't happened. But Jesus, I'm going to ask that you have mercy on them and you give them children. Give them the desires of their heart. Have mercy on them and give them what they have desired from you. Jesus, have mercy. There are people here this morning who feel stuck financially. There are people here this morning who are stubborn financially toward you. Jesus, have mercy on us. Will you break away that ice that blocks our hearts? Will you be like a giant icebreaker that plows through and breaks the hardness of our hearts? So we be people of generosity and the kind of abundance where we can pour resources into others in life-giving ways and not in self-serving ways. Jesus, we don't want to be people who are lukewarm or dead or whatever things you all, you've talked about with some of the churches that you saw years ago that we know are true today. So Jesus, I'll simply close uh, with this. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. We want to know you. We want to love you. We want to be full of life, passion, goodness, forgiveness, energy, kindness. We want to be full of those things so we can be a part of changing the world around us. So Jesus, Son of David, heal us. Have mercy on us. Put your hands over our eyes like you did with Bartimaeus 
and give us eyes to see. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus, the merciful, the mighty, the kind, the good, the one who gave himself and died for us and has rose from us from the dead. And we ask this in your name. Amen. And uh, we end every Sunday with uh, communion. And again, if, if you're a parent and you want to go ahead and grab your kids, you can. You don't have to. But just saying, if that's something you might be inclined to do. We have communion every Sunday. Um, and when you come to communion, really what you're saying is, Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, Jesus. I want, I want, I, I don't like lukewarmness. So what we do is we come up to the aisles. We'll offer you bread. We don't dismiss our rose. As soon as we start singing, you're welcome to come. We'll offer you bread. Ask you to tear off the bread. Offer you the cup. We just dip in the cup. Most people